0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. Oh, it's been a while and I am really happy to be back here. So, let's hop into it. Holy shit. Oh no. Having big unscheduled gaps between episodes like this really just brings home to me how lucky I am to have any patrons at all. And so, thank you so much to all of you. Giving you all a shout out right now. Carol Hicks, Matt Dombrowski, Joanna Howard, Eric Upchurch, Clyde Booth, Ryan Abrahamson, and Gyunjun4143. And so, without further ado, let's get back into the Skyrim audio adventure. Chapter 13, The Baron of the Boneyard. As the pair climbed higher, the trees began to thin, and so, mercifully, did the fog. they had spent the last few hours creeping through the gloom, dodging the dancing blue lights, wisps or otherwise. They thought better not to risk another encounter. Stepping out of the tree line onto a wind-swept ridge, the hunter felt that he could actually breathe for the first time since that morning. He would normally have felt skittish and exposed when leaving the comforting cover of the woods, but back there, there was no comfort to be found. And up ahead, there was the sky, azure and majestic, high clouds shifting to gold just slightly as the sun began its long descent. Looking back at the sickly forest, the hunter blinked and rubbed his eyes with confusion. The unnatural cloud that had been their bane since they'd made it to the falls was gone, as if the muggy particulates of water had simply folded themselves back into the fabric of the air. Brown foliage, blackened, pustulant bark, and deep in the shadow of those boughs, jerking, spindly movement. Come on, hound, the hunter said, placing a hand on Bracknell's shoulder. We mustn't linger. A moment, boy, a moment. Bracknell insisted, casting his eyes around the surrounding cliffs and bluffs. I taste a fell odor on the breeze. The hunter drew deeply of the air. I smell it too, like old bones left in the sun. We draw closer still, the Nord muttered, and crept up the rocky slope away from the macabre labyrinth of trees. Up they went, following their noses, until the way ahead seemed to grow tame, a trail. The rocks were worn and the dirt was well-trodden. By what, the hunter couldn't say for certain, but what was apparent was the winding line of worn earth stretching ahead of them. At this exposed altitude, the wind did much to mask what had once been clear. A few tracks seemed to be of men, booted and otherwise, but the gate was off. They were irregular, stumbling, limbs were being dragged and obscuring the tracks behind them. There were a few animal tracks, but none that followed the trail for long. Old blackened blood stained the stone in droplets and streaks long, crusted and dried. The hunter crouched and inspected the ground. Something was here. A pattern. The pronged print of a hoof, barely visible under all the others. Hooves were not uncommon, but this thing was massive, as big as any moose track he'd ever come across, and around the outside of the shape, a few lines of grasping points dragging through the dirt. What in the world did this mean? Were deer growing claws now? He would have dismissed the track offhand had he not noticed several iterations of it separated by a matter of about eight yards. Bracknell, tell me I'm not crazy. Bracknell rubbed his eyes as if to clear them. For the time being, it seems you're not, but I've got money on that changing. The hunter would have offered him a good-natured backhand if he wasn't approximately level with his companions' ashyams. He pointed up ahead of them. More blood. We should get off this trail. My thoughts exactly, said the hunter, peering back the way they came. This is the Hollow Ones Highway. The pair did their best to keep a low profile as they slipped off the trail and continued their ascent. Footprints became few and far between. Soon the soil and short grass beneath their boots had given way to hard granite stone. This was no longer a hike. This was a climb. They took every section slowly and quietly. They ducked into crags when they could and they stayed below any ridge lines so as not to set silhouettes against the sky. Their increasingly trying ascent paused when they scrambled up a false peak and found themselves panting thin air on the edge of a plateau bathed in the chill of the mountain's shade. The ground was cold and the hunter suspected this rocky step frosted over even on the mild nights of summer. He knelt, sucking at the air, while Bracknell leaned a heavy hand on his shoulder. The old man peered up at the spires above them. (sighs) I reckon I know where we are. About six miles south of here is where those trolls used to live. (coughs) Fascinating. The hunter stood up stiffly, like a horse rearing back, and picked up the scanning. Does the putrefaction reach all the way over there, I wonder? Bracknell took a quick drink and shrugged. It's hard to tell this high. Too barren. True. Can't corrupt a life if there's no life to corrupt. Still, I doubt it. It hasn't reached Riverwood, after all. It's gotten pretty close, though. Just not in such acute forms. Won't matter after today, Bracknell muttered. Come on. That trail would have set us up just a hair south of here. The pair made their way across the plateau, stepping lightly on the rock as it rolled gently from crest to trough. The world was remarkably quiet this high. Little broke the silence save the screech of a hawk riding the updrafts and the skittering of dust across rock as it was whipped up by the cold alpine gusts. The sun had retreated behind the summits and afternoon was well upon them when the hunter held out a hand and they both froze. Hold he said. What? The hunter was eyeing the ridge ahead of them. I... I think we're here. I heard something up ahead, slowly now. As they approached the next ridge, the two bowmen dropped onto their bellies like they were hunting. The hunter passively noticed that he shared a lot of little mannerisms with his friend. It was like watching two kids who had grown up in the same neighborhood, only the neighborhood in question was the wilds themselves. Like lizards, they crawled silently up the cool rock face to the edge and tentatively looked over the top. Rather than more rocky bluffs, the pair saw that they had crept to the lip of a wide basin. It resembled a crater, complete with gnarled slots and crags at the edges. Enclaves that had been cut into the rock by what the hunter had to guess was a long-dead volcano. The drop into the cauldron was just high and steep enough to give him pause. In this rocky grotto were several shabby wooden structures. A raised cabin, a rudimentary forge, and neighboring storage shack. Various altars and effigies also littered the area, but by far the most conspicuous feature inside this crater was a curious mound, nearly forty feet long and six feet tall. As the hunter squinted at the protracted pile, a shiver ran down his spine. It was a pile of bodies. Men and women, some in rough armor, some in clothes, some in hunter's furs like himself. All were in various stages of decay. Some were practically skeletons, some were festering nurseries for flies. Some looked like they might still be warm. Who? How? When? All these questions flooded his mind as he choked down a silent sob. One question floated to the top like a pinecone in a pond. Why? He couldn't begin to fathom why this had been done. What need could justify such slaughter? What pain could rationalize it? Perhaps if he were the king of worms, he would understand. He wiped his face, trying to recompose himself, and looked to his companion. Bracknell's steely blues were unperturbed. His face was set, his breaths even. About thirty figures milled around the space, all moving with jerking, inconsistent steps. Some looked as if they were fighting their own flesh, others just walked like they had spears up their rears. Several were cloaked in black cowls, more wore tattered armor, and an unfortunate few were shambling about in the filthy, rotting buck. Regardless of state, all had something to do. Be it as passive as keeping watch, or as active as clumsily fashioning crude weapons at the Smoking Forge. This was it. It had to be. The lair of the Necromancer. Now all they had to do was pick him out of the crowd. The hunter focused. Parceling the decrepit lot into smaller gaggles of ghouls and sifting through them in search of... What? He wasn't sure. Someone who looked less dead, perhaps. A warmer complexion, a steadier gait, something with a measure of authority or dexterity. He soon ruled out the naked figures, as all showed clear signs of being less than alive, be it a lack of skin, protruding entrails, or simply being walking skeletons. Those in armor he couldn't be sure about, but he doubted that one who summoned the dead to do their bidding would be wearing full metal armor in the middle of the day. That left those in the cloaks. He could pick out almost nothing of their features and started searching their behavior for some tell. However, they were all shambling about the crater with the same vague hint of unenthusiastic purpose. He could tell nothing between them. Bracknell eventually tapped his shoulder and the two slithered back away from the ledge. Did you see him? The hunter hissed. I saw nothing I could hang my hat on. You don't wear a hat. Well, no, but I think I should. I'm beginning to thin out up top. Yeah, that's a decent idea. Think Helga will like it? More worried about the coin, honestly. Fair, fair. Anyway, what the fuck are we going to do about this? Bracknell quirked his mouth in the hint of a smile. Well, we'll have to lure them out. And I think we've established which of us is the better bait. The hunter's sidelong glare could have felled a tree. I thought you said we weren't going fishing. But it went so well last time. Yeah, but the slaughter fish aren't swinging swords. How else do you propose we do it? We can keep watch, wait for the bastard to show himself. And what about when it gets dark? Then we wait till daybreak. Passivity will not avail us, boy. Not here. I call it patience. Don't you lecture me. I invented patience. The hunter rubbed his hands down his face. The night, at least gives me cover to sneak in there. I suppose that's fair, but what if something goes wrong? Then we can run back down the mountain. You can run back down the mountain. I at best can saunter. What's more, do you really favor your chances scrambling up this wall in the dark with a bunch of dead hedge on your tail? Well we know these things are coming and going, so there must be an entrance of sorts. The hunter crawled his way back up to the edge and surveyed the perimeter. To his left, he spotted a slot-like crevasse that had a gate sloppily mounted into it. He returned to Bracknell. There's a gate over that way. I can just bail out there if everything goes to hell. Then you're running into a bottleneck in the dark. In the light, you'd at least have a chance of fighting them off. Fighting them off? Did you see how many there were? You trained with the companions, did you not? I... Ah, yes, but swarms of the undead were not covered. All the more reason to coax the bastard out so we don't have to deal with them. But I'm still stuck as bait in that scenario. True. Wait a minute. What if we could draw him out? Throw a stone, so to speak. Do you want to throw an actual stone? No, no, but a disturbance, like... The gate. The gate was sitting open... What if it mysteriously closed? That might... The hunter's words caught as he looked past his friend to a nearby boulder dropped on the plateau by an ancient glacier long ago. Movement, get down! He hissed as something shuffled out from behind the huge rock. Blue lights danced once more. A corpse, face still hanging in tattered strings to its chin, was darting for them with graceless haste. Bracknell didn't miss a moment. He shot towards it, drawing an arrow from his quiver, caught the thing's raised hand axe, and like he was thrusting a spear, drove the arrow through the thing's glowing undead eye. As it halted from the blow, he raised a boot and kicked it away, wrenching his barbed arrow out of its head, pulling rotting brain and sinew with it. The corpse crumbled to the ground, an inert jumble of flesh once more. The hunter was impressed. It was the fastest he'd ever seen the old man move. He would have said so, but the stink of the undead minion choked any praise he could muster in his throat. I don't know that I like that plan either. There's no guarantee that it will get anyone's attention. (coughs) True. True. The hunter choked. But based on what just happened, I retract my earlier proposition of waiting. True, right. We gotta try something. You get to a good shooting spot, I'm heading for the gate. Be sharp, boy," the old Nord said. No hesitating from here on out. If the time comes to fight, you fight. If the time comes to kill, you kill. The hunter nodded. Got it. And drop your pack here, I'll look after it. He did so, eyes still watering from the stench, and slunk off to the left, crouching along the lip of the necromancer's camp. The further the hunter got, the more unsure his footing. Pebbles scattered and skipped under his steps, causing his heartbeat to thrum in his ear from the sheer anxiety. Would he be heard? Would he be seen? He hugged the rock, trying to duck out of view from those in the Caldara and under the gaze of any that walked to the perimeter. Spiders and mountain goats all around would have been jealous had they seen how he clung to that stone. Below, he could see the path they had deviated from, winding up towards the gate. The wall of the basin split at the low end, a trench where, eons before, lava flowed out across the land. The hunter was creeping on his stomach when he eventually came to the edge of that gap, and peered in, precariously balanced between a foothold and a handhold he didn't entirely trust. There, he saw the gate. Sizable, if a touch rickety. The exposed skull of a hollow one flashed white as the bloody thing shambled out of the caldera and down the slopes. The hunter took in the make of the gate. The wood was rough and thick, but not held together very well. The hinges were made to swing both ways, and the locking mechanism seemed to be little more than a slot for a crossbar. If the hunter had a rod, or if he could climb down far enough, maybe he could close it? but then he'd be too close to the diversion to benefit. That was when the hunter spotted something more than rock tucked into the sides above the trench. Hidden in the crags above the gate, he saw a pile of moderate-sized logs suspended by a closed ramp, ready and waiting to be dropped onto the heads of any unwelcome guest to enter the camp. That was the key. That would make for a perfect lure. The question was how to trigger it. The hunter climbed further into the crevasse, scouring the ground for a trip line, or a pressure trigger. Then he realized that as long as there was traffic in and out, the main trip mechanism would probably be deactivated. That meant he'd have to trigger it manually, or find the anchor, which posed some problems. Not the least of which was the fact that his grip was starting to slip. He traversed along the inner wall of the slot, looking down at the pile of logs. The crevice was just wide enough to make chimneying untenable. He spotted the ring and rope, keeping these felled sentinels from careening down and crushing anything unfortunate enough to be using the gate. It would be a tripwire then. Someone triggers the wire, which somehow loosens the rope, which lowers the ramp, and releases the logs. The device was about a full body length below his severely occupied feet. Again, he wished that he had a rod or at least a hardy branch that he might reach down, unleash chaos, and scramble away like a mischievous rock gremlin. Even better, if he got to a place where his hands were free, he could probably trigger this with an arrow. He traced the rope, looking for the tie-off. The anchor looked like it would be just inside the gate. It was at that moment when he heard a low, guttural grunt. He looked down and saw that a pair of hollow ones were staring up at him with their ghostly blue orbs yellow and brown teeth bared, mean weapons gripped in their hands. He flinched. It wasn't much of a flinch, but it was enough, so tenuous was his grip on the rock. His weight wobbled, his hands slipped, and then his boots. Gravity took him like it had been waiting for the chance, and he fell, clawing at the wall for any form of purchase as he did. Now, once he had entered free fall, the hunter had half a second to do anything about his situation, and an eighth of that time to ponder it. In that brief moment, looking down at the doom rushing up to him, he eyed a landing spot that might be a little less catastrophic. He would have thought himself crazy to attempt this on purpose, but as Bracknell had said, the time for hesitation had passed. Pushing away from the rushing stone at the last moment, the hunter's boots landed hard on top of one of the gate doors. The wood buckled and cracked beneath them. The impact must have broken one of the hinges. He balanced atop the teetering door for a moment before leaping down into the caldera. He rolled as he hit the dirt and spun to see the large door topple forward, splintering the bottom hinge and crushing both of his hapless onlookers. The slam and crunch echoed off the walls. The hunter winced like a child who had just broken a jar. Tremulously, he peered around. Sure enough, he was the center of attention in the middle of the necromancer's camp. Every ethereal eye, every empty socket, every slack, maggot-crusted face was pointed at him. He was up and moving before he'd even had time to explain to himself where he was going. He drew his short sword and skirted around the perimeter, trying to keep as many deadheads in front of him as he could. As the horde surged forward, he saw that two of them would not be so easily outmaneuvered. The first was a woman in a faded yellow dress. Her jaw was missing and one bosom was hanging out. In her grey hand, she held little more than a sharpened stake. He ducked her flailing attack and separated her head from her shoulders with a swift pirouette. The second was a large, orcish bandit who was missing most of his entrails. He came at the hunter with a huge, two-handed warhammer. The hunter leapt on him before he could swing and nailed his head to the earth with his blade. The hammer looked ideal for crushing heads, but when he picked it up, he found it was too heavy for his wiry frame to wield. Holding it by the end, he spun twice and flung it into the oncoming crowd, flooring a wide swath of his pursuers. It was about that point in the skirmish he stopped seeing the differences between them. He stopped looking for the people they used to be. Some of them were skeletons, some of them were more. Some had weapons he might be able to use, some didn't. He pulled his sword from the orc's head and continued to strafe. He was doing his best to keep the hollow ones in the center so he could move freely around them, but it was getting harder. They all seemed sluggish at first, but when the winds of war blew and the bodies started falling, they seemed to awake to their sinister purpose. They got faster. They got fiercer. And most troubling of all, they got smarter. He ran one through with a borrowed polearm and whirled to see that he was being boxed in. He spotted a raised stone platform and leapt onto it. The decrepit mob surrounded him, pressing in. Something crunched beneath his feet and the hunter looked down to see fragments of bone and scattered human teeth. Panicked, he spun, training his sword on each of the oncoming throng in turn. Then they stopped. A breathless moment snuck past and the hunter came back to himself. He was panting through gritted teeth He bled from a cut on his arm, and his boots were black with rotting viscera. The slack faces around him stared, as if waiting for a performance to start. He paced like a wounded, anxious animal, probing for a weakness. The throng was too deep to hurdle, too armed to dive into, and too dense to barrel through. After several nervous seconds, the crowd parted, creating a path. Thinking it was a weakness, the hunter darted for the gap, but froze when he saw what waited. Stepping forward was a figure taller than the rest, shrouded in a cloak and hood. The hunter couldn't make out the face in the shadow. Its arms were folded into its sleeves, and its feet were covered by the hem of the robe. When it walked, it swayed side to side like it was hobbled. The hunter backed up, blade ready, as the strange figure approached. It stopped at the foot of the platform. Then to the hunter's shock, a voice came rattling out of it, like sickly bubbles popping in a cauldron. The winds have spoke of your coming. Rude, wouldn't you say, to break down one's door and start slaying their servants. Who are you then, interloper? The hunter's brow knitted and he kept his sword pointing at the figure. Rude, wouldn't you say? To ask a name without giving one. Foolish, but I will abide. I am the Baron of the Boneyard. Now please, a name. The hunter's adrenaline was causing his toes to tingle. You are the Necromancer. And you are... The thief. The hunter felt suddenly naked. He glanced down to see a deep purple glow snaking across the platform he stood upon. It crawled along and branched, forming a complex series of runes. No, not the thief. Not the brigand. You are the hunter. The hunter felt like he was being searched, stripped bare by the ghostly eyes around him. The hunter, yes, but not quite. The archer, the warrior, the wanderer, the ranger, the warden, you say. (laughs) That is rich. The hunter swallowed. Where the heck was Bracknell? Wasn't it apparent what was happening even from afar? All he could do now was play for time. "'Baron,' he said, dropping to one knee and laying down his sword. Every part of him that touched the stone tingled like the blood was rushing out of it. "'I'm a student of the Arcane. I've come to learn at your side. Please, won't you have me as an apprentice?' There was a heavy pause before a cold chuckle crackled out of the hood. "'Apprentice!' (laughs) Oh no, you are no mage, that much is plain to see. Please, I can show you, just allow me a demonstration. (laughs) The laughing grew louder, but the hooded figure stepped back several paces and the glowing runes faded away. Very well, student. An opportunity you shall have. Please show us your magical aptitude. The hunter waited, breathless for a moment, still no sign of Bracknell. With shaking hands, the hunter surreptitiously grabbed six human teeth from the ground and stood wiping the sweat off his face. Behold, he cried, holding out his palm, three human teeth. Now observe as I send them on a journey through my body. He imagined the necromancer quirking an eyebrow, but of course he couldn't see. He drew a knife from his belt and brought it to his palm. All I need is some blood. And of course, magic. The hunter pressed the blade into his flesh, not deep enough to do real damage, but deep enough to draw a convincing amount of blood. He winced at the pain, but tried to hide it. The hunter then pushed the three teeth into the slit on his hand, straining theatrically each time. Once all the teeth had disappeared into his wound, he held up the empty hand. Suddenly he began to gasp and convulse his arm violently. It started in his wrist, then his forearm, elbow, and finally his shoulder. As the spasms reached his chest, the hunter made like something was rising up his throat and dramatically spat three teeth out onto the dirt at the baron's feet. A pregnant silence followed. The hunter wanted to check the ridges around him, but didn't want to give his friend away. He wanted to spit the taste of old teeth out of his mouth, but didn't want to break his facade. Then the baron of the boneyard spoke. Thank you very much for that charming display. It makes this so much easier." They began to step slowly towards the platform. You see, to subjugate a soul, one must call it by its name. And you never gave me yours. Smart. The hunter stepped back slightly, feeling for his bow as the hooded voice continued. However, there is a workaround, you see. It requires me to identify your truth. Down in the very moat of your being. The place where who and what become the same. Jerking steps carried the Baron up a short stair until he stood on the platform with the hunter, who could only raise his bow feebly in defense as he was dwarfed. Isn't it good to be properly introduced? It was like every cell in his body had just been tied to a stone and dropped into a lake. He slammed onto his hands and knees, the weight of the mountain descending on his bones. The runes in the circles roared to life with purple fury, and he felt like his mind was being split. Memories and faces, regrets, joys and places, He saw all as a tapestry of mundane moments woven together like a fractal star. It was bending and spiraling, his essence was being rent and wrung. Pain, like he'd never known existed, rang a sharp static in his rupturing mind. He screamed. He wailed like a banshee, the Baron raised a hand, a purple glow coalescing in his palm. His fingers were unnaturally long and spider-like. I welcome you to the (gasps) horde. The pain stopped as an arrow came clattering down onto the stone next to the hunter's hand. It was lightly slickened with a dark liquid. His mouth was dry and his throat ached as he took in tired, rasping breaths trying to make sense of what his eyes were seeing. The Baron gave a choked sigh and pitched forward onto his knees, clutching a wound right where its heart would be. Hurt. But not dead. The hunter's numb body knew exactly what to do with that information. He clumsily selected and notched an arrow. Rearing back onto his knees, he saw something else that didn't make sense. The Baron was gathering itself to stand again, one hand pressing off the stone, the other clutching its chest. He saw the empty shadow of that hood and fixed his aim onto it. He drew to his anchor and sent the arrow right where he imagined the thing's eye would be. A moment later, the black fletching hung awkwardly still before him. He blinked, confused. At first he thought it had gotten jammed as it passed through the necromancer's skull. But then he saw it. Those long, spindly fingers were gripping the shaft of the arrow. Somehow the Baron had caught an arrow fired nearly point-blank at its face. It stood towering over the shocked hunter once again. A veil of black set against the blue sky. In those heavens, the hunter's eye caught a faint glint over the Baron's shoulder. With a sudden ripple of cloth, a pale arm shot out behind the Baron, and snatched Bracknell's second shot out of the air. The hood hadn't even turned to look, the hunter was reaching for another arrow when, for what felt like the ninth time that minute, his brain caught up to the abnormality before him. One of the baron's arms was at its chest wound, one was holding the hunter's arrow, and a third was holding Bracknell's. The hunter stood, stumbling back away from the thing as a fourth arm emerged and pulled the black cloak away. What stood before him was not a man, but rather an affront, a twisted, wretched abhorrence of the state of humanity. The skin was gray and ill-fitting like a poorly wrapped parcel. The flesh was gnarled with bizarre scarring all through the abdomen, from where its legs had been turned out so the toes faced sideways, to where the extra ribs had been added, to where two extra arms protruded from under its proper shoulders. The hunter was not unfamiliar with the odious and ghoulish at this point, so these nightmarish augmentations did little to shake him. But the thing's face chilled him to his core. The mouth that had been speaking with him moments before, he now saw hanging open. Cheeks split so the jaw hung unnaturally wide. A wicker framework was set into the mouth, forcing it agape, and making articulation impossible. The tongue was nowhere to be seen. A rune carved into its forehead smoldered purple like a dying ember. In all this, the thing the hunter expected would haunt him till his death was the eyes. They were not the blue glowing orbs of the Hollow Ones around him. The whites were pale. The iris was dark. The lids were gone, but these eyes were moist. Moist and all too alive for the face that surrounded them. Two lines traced down the baron's cheeks from where tears had worn away at the flesh like a river wears away at stone. The hunter shot his second arrow and the baron ducked, dropping onto all sixes like a massive insect and skittering towards him, screeching! He would have screamed, but he didn't feel he had any voice. So he moved. For some reason, his body didn't feel like his. It was like he was calling to it from a great distance. The direction and manner in which he moved was more than his mind could handle. All he could do was push, and let his body figure out the rest. And so, surrounded by the dead, and with this nightmarish necromancer bearing down on him, he felt for the earth beneath his boots, and pushed with all his might. A long-fingered hand reached for him. He took up his blade and met it as it came, stabbing through the palm and gouging up as he ducked underneath. A scream ripped into his head, the thing's momentum carried it over and past him. A tug at his hip told him one of the Baron's other hands had snagged his quiver. His movement faltered only for a moment, then he slid his sword through the strap and his quiver fell away. The gap in the crowd that had heralded the Baron's approach had not yet closed, and now It was the hunter's best bet to get out of this circle. He sprinted for the gap, short sword in one hand, bow in the other. An axe was swung at him. He parried it. A polearm was thrust at him. He rolled under it. At the last moment, a brave bastard of a skeleton stepped into his path with no armaments whatsoever. He put all his momentum into a swinging haymaker with the wing of his bow and smashed straight through the center of it. Bones scattered all across the yard as the hunter stumbled and tumbled free of the crowd. He spun to see the horde slowly taking notice and hobbling after him, and the sickly visage of the baron, wheeling to follow suit. He reached for an arrow. Oh, right. The hunter scanned the camp for anything he could use. Suddenly, he slipped. It was not a slip of the hand or a slip of the feet, it was a slip of the self. Again, he felt very far away, only now he saw it. He saw the camp, he saw the rocky crags of the Caldara. he saw the gently smoking forge, and he saw himself, as if from the outside, his heaving shoulders, his sweat-slicked mop of hair, the undead rushing towards him. A nearby minion was floored as an arrow was sent through its skull. A couple seconds later, another one dropped. The hunter blinked and violently snapped back into himself just in time to see the Baron rush him again. Another arrow was sent its way, but it swatted the projectile aside, like a clerk swatting away an irritating fly. All the same, Bracknell's assist had given him the time he needed to choose his next battleground. He slung his bow over his back and sprinted for the forge simple it was a roofed smoldering pit of coals with a bellow and a blackened volcanic stone that seemed to function as an anvil the hunter could feel the fingertips of the baron brush his ankle as he made for it he could hear bracknell shouting something but couldn't make out the words and there was no chance he was about to stop and ask him to repeat the baron was hot on his heels as the hunter reached the forge he leapt over the fire pit and swung on the rope for the bellow he heard the whoosh of air felt the rush of searing heat and heard the inhuman scream of the baron. He squinted back at the roaring forge and saw the baron reeling away an angry blackened mark on the arm that he was sure had just been reaching for him. The wall of the shack next to him was covered in strange, crude weapons, barely sharp, but heavy enough that it wouldn't matter when they were swung with undead strength. He grabbed four of the more sword-like ones and plunged them into the fire he pulled the bellow once more and stepped around the forge to face the baron pain huh? the hunter called taking a knife in one hand and gripping his short sword in the other do they all feel that or is it just you rage burned in the baron's lidless eyes and it screamed back at him seems like an interesting inconvenience to tolerate given your position just then another dart arched through the air and the Baron was again struck by one of Bracknell's arrows. This one landed in the shoulder blade and got stuck. The hunter grimaced, remembering how that felt, but it only seemed to make the Baron more angry. The eldritch thing spun around and snatched up four undead minions, one in each hand. The long fingers seemed to have too many joints as they encircled the torsos of the corpses. With a heave and a throw like a cracking whip, The Baron sent the minions flying, armor and all, up onto the ledge where Bracknell stood. They landed in heaps, but soon began to stir. The hunter heard Bracknell's string of curses and saw him disappear from the ledge to deal with the company. His eyes returned to the Baron, only to see him winding up again. Four more undead were violently ushered in his direction, the most on target greeting him with an enthusiastic flying swing of a great sword. The hunter almost dropped to the ground as he avoided it and stood just as his new guests were righting themselves. He quickly closed the distance with one and jammed his short hunting knife into the base of its skull. It seemed to do the trick, and he moved on. The second came at him with a narrow sword, using something that was once upon a time technique. But the fencing skill had withered with undeath. And the hunter easily countered with a parry and riposte, running the ghoul through with his sword, then slashing its throat with his knife. The last two came at him at once. One unarmed, one with a familiar greatsword. He ducked another enthusiastic swing and slashed at the unarmed minion's legs, just how Aethis had shown him. As it dropped, he rushed into the one wielding the great sword, catching its raised arms with his sword and stabbing it as many times as he could in the head and chest with his knife. Unable to complete its downswing, the thing moaned and tried barreling into him. He would have shifted his weight and stepped out of the way, but suddenly he couldn't. His foot was held in a grip cold as death. The unarmed ghoul was getting its revenge. He hopped on one leg for a second, trying to find balance as the berserker pressed into him. He never found it, but he did find the lip of the forge as his foot brushed against the cobble wall allowing himself to fall he wrapped his knife arm around the berserker and levered it flinging it down into the fire pit he thought the heat might scorch his face and rolled away frantically kicking at the ghoul still grabbing at him eventually he managed to stomp its face enough times to loosen its grip he came up to a knee and stabbed it through the neck over the several seconds in which this chaotic fumbling drama played itself out Part of the hunter's mind had been wondering what on Nern was the Baron up to? Once he got to his feet and saw, he understood. The ghouls had been a diversion. The Baron was standing, all four massive hands cupping the air before it. In that space was a raging ball of gathered energy, sparking and arcing as what must have started as a glow grew to a blinding light. The hunter had never seen magic take on such a destructive form. It was as though the Baron held lightning, and it was about to strike. The hunter dropped his weapons and turned back to the forge, snatching up one of the rough blades he'd stuck into the fire. Its heat warmed his hand when he would have imagined it stinging. But all the same, he spun and threw it, arching end over end at the Baron. The orange-hot end of the blackened hunk of iron flickered as it tumbled through the air, but he only saw it for a moment before the brightness in the Baron's hands blinded him to all else. He turned his back, brought his hands up around his head, and dropped to the ground. He knew he would die now, and just for a moment he was back in that dark room, huddling under the covers with a young girl. Her gray eyes were sleepy her figure frail, her breath soft. He thought he might have heard the baron scream in pain, but it was drowned out by the blast. Thunder rocked the caldera, and the hunter felt a power like he'd never felt, rush by like the dragons of old. Wood splintered and battered his arms, like arrows levied fruitlessly against a closed gate wind howled like a hurricane in the mountain hollow and his left side burst into pins and needles he saw himself again curled in the fetal position amid the mad tempest of wrath and fire then it was done and the hunter was still breathing when the roaring chaos faded to a hollow clattering and the hiss of dust in the wind the hunter poked his head up out of his arms a ferret peeking out of its den. All about him was furling smoke tinted red by the flames. The shack was practically gone. Its top half had been shorn off in a clean diagonal cut. Red and orange embers glowed against burned black, the cut wood smoldering like a cauterized wound. Flames rose up from within those devastated walls, where the rest of the shack must have collapsed. Trembling, he came to his feet, gray eyes still snapping in his mind. He gritted his teeth against the memory and let fury drive the fear from his bones. He strode to the forge and took a scorching weapon in each hand. Like so many things, the pain in his palms was too far away to reach him. Why worry about pain when this body was only temporary? Pain had no place here. The smoke tried to choke him but his lungs knew no difference between the sting of blistered air and the ache of his soul, so rent and hewn. The glowing points heralded his approach as he stepped out of the smoke. The Baron had its back turned to him and was skittering towards the ledge where Bracknell had disappeared. Turn! He shouted, voice hoarse but thick with anger. Turn and meet your end! The Baron froze and looked back, those pitiful eyes meeting his again. Mercy that it be. The thing howled and spun on him once more. It charged, but there was something different this time. Its movements were slower, jerky, and subtly laborious. They seemed closer now to the undead around them. Oh, spent already! The hunter called and charged. It was just how he and Aella had started wrestling matches, by flying at each other like a couple of mad things. He knew what he was doing. As they came together, the Baron reared and cocked all its arms back, palms facing him as though it would squish him like a bug. He fainted in and dodged to the left, and the arms came down, tossing up dirt where they hit. Setting his feet, he thrust both orange-hot points into the gnarled shoulder joints of the Baron. There was an inhuman screech, and it recoiled, seeming less steady than ever. You shouldn't have missed! The hunter called, advancing. NOW YOU'VE JUST PISSED ME OFF! His emotions burned with all the fury of the fire at his back. His internal world felt sharper, brighter, raw like new skin, while his physical world stretched and pulled as he continued to fight. The baron swiped at him desperately as it continued to give ground. Anything that came near him he prodded away with the scolding points of his unrefined swords. It flailed one of its left arms at him, slamming it down. In one smooth motion, he sidestepped and nailed it to the ground with a blade. The Baron tried to pull away, but couldn't. The hunter stomped the straightened elbow, earning a sickly snap, and prodded the screeching thing in the chest. The broken arm again came straight, and the hunter spun, severing it from its host. Black ichor splattered across the ground as the Baron crumpled away from him. He roared after it. A ferret-turned-sabre-cat, if only for a moment. The sound pushed fear into a being that should not be capable of such a thing. It scrambled away into the sea of silhouettes. The hunter breathed in the smoky air as sweat cooled on his brow. His palms were moist with it. The rage trickled out of him as he saw the orange points of his weapons dulling to a dim red. He wouldn't be able to press this advantage much longer. Letting the Baron retreat, he backed towards the forge, fading back into the smoke. He shoved the two blades back into the pit and looked at his hands. The skin was black from soot and iron. He couldn't see any blisters, but experience told him they were on their way. His nerves should have been the ones to relay the message, but it seemed they were asleep. He found the knife and short sword he'd dropped, sheathed them, and took quick inventory. Sword, dagger, knife, bow, check. Quiver? No such luck. He blinked and saw himself from afar. He blinked again and he was back in his head, clicking his tongue in annoyance he drew the last of the fiery blades and stepped off in search of the baron, and an end to this whole ordeal. The baron greeted him as he cleared the haze, and the two dove back into their gory festival as though they'd agreed upon it. Three abhorrent arms against one hot hunk of metal. The hunter didn't have the same advantage as when he had had two, but he still managed to dictate the pace of the engagement. Knowing the baron would flinch and twitch at every jab or feint, let him move the monstrous necromancer into vulnerable positions and out of aggressive ones. It was a mad image. He knew because in brief moments he saw it. The lean hunter facing down the towering, insectine baron. Finally, after almost a minute, the hunter had set up his next strike, a slash to the wrist on the extra right arm. The hunter jabbed to the chest, prodded away a follow-up swing, offered a swipe of his own to hold the other arms at bay, then, darting in, slashed down at the vulnerable wrist. Suddenly he faltered, and the strike whiffed. The blade had come loose in his hands, slipping and moving erratically. He glanced down at it and saw with horror that in all the heat and effort his sweat had caused the false finger to slip off of his stump. He didn't have any time to worry about it, though. A moment later he was flying through the air. The baron had taken his second of hesitation to land a haymaker, separating him from his scolding sword and sending him hurtling away, limbs flailing. He landed in a heap and slid. He was dazed, but the pain was being mercifully dulled by this thing the hunter didn't understand. A hollow one stepped up to his prone form and raised a long spear to impale him. The hunter's body again saved him as he caught the spear in his armpit and kicked the ghoul away. Rolling to his feet, he brandished the spear around him, his prosthesis sitting awkwardly between his fingers. Boy! Came a familiar call. The hunter stabbed the hollow one in the eye with his own spear, and spun around looking for the source. He spotted Bracknell standing on the lip opposite to where the hunter had originally seen him. He must have run around while entertaining his guests. Jimmy! Chimiii! He cried, practically bouncing, It's behind you! The hunter took off towards the wall of the caldera. He chanced to glance over his shoulder, and sure enough, here came the baron, hobbled but not slowed. The hunter deliberately skirted around a group of skeletons in hopes they'd slow down his pursuer. The sound of shattering and scattering bones told him that they had been a minor annoyance, and little more. The wall was coming up fast, and the hunter knew it would take too long to actually climb. The baron's reach was too great. It was then he recalled a technique he hadn't used since he was climbing through windows as a youth. Coming to the wall, he gripped the far end of the shaft and stabbed the spear into the ground before him. His shoulder was yanked violently as forward momentum shifted upwards. He twirled wildly, displaying just how out of practice he was. But sure as grass is green, the spear flexed slightly and lifted him up as he vaulted onto the wall. It was a mad decision, but from where the hunter stood, it was the only one. If he was faced with the same scenario a dozen times, he'd do it just the same. Well, perhaps he would have changed one thing. He would have grabbed a longer spear. As it was, the pole only lifted him halfway up the wall. He thudded unceremoniously into the rock face and started scrambling up. It was slow. Slower than he'd normally be. The flopping, unanchored prosthetic was making his right hand an unreliable tool. After a few feet, he saw Bracknell peering down from above him. The old man's eyes were wide with adrenaline. Look out! he called. The hunter found his next foothold and tried to push himself up before something caught his trailing leg, causing him to falter. He looked back to see the Baron's grey fingertips pinning his foot to the stone. The huge insectine body was rearing back and climbing the wall after him. Simply by standing, it made up most of the gap. The monster's two free hands splayed and pinched the stone, assisting its ascent. An arrow flitted by him, and the baron's hand swiftly withdrew to avoid being struck. Only momentarily deterred, the hand reached up adjacent to the hunter, finding purchase on the rock. The hunter's foot was free, though it would make little difference. The thing's grotesque chest would be against his back with the next move he was trapped once again the hunter's options were whittled down to death and the mad and once more he chose the mad he remembered aella laying back over the rock he remembered hanging upside down to slay the boar gathering his feet under him he kicked off the rock he flew up and away from the wall over the baron's clawing grasp he tossed his head back flipping and drawing his sword. Coming down, nothing between him and the ground, he gripped the hilt with both hands and drove the blade into his pursuer's long back. Gravity brought him down hard, slowed only slightly as the true steel of the companions carved a gaping valley down the back of the baron, splitting them open like an accordion. The hunter's feet hit the ground and gave. He fell onto his rear. Black, acrid-smelling goop spilled onto him, setting a sickly itch where it touched looking up he saw the baron scream skyward a long mournful howl silhouetted against the mountain's peak watching as if a spectator to the drama below the inhuman cry was cut short by an arrow flying into the baron's mouth and out the back of its head for a moment all was still then like a cut pine the baron began to teeter back and fall. The hunter scrambled out of its path, but was unable to escape the dust cloud as the wretched thing slammed down. The particles of dirt settled on him, clinging to his form wherever he was stained by the thick black ichor. The hunter tried to stand, but his balance failed him. He fell, reeling and rolling over to the spear he'd used earlier. Clutching it like an old man clutches a staff, he fought to his feet. Finally readjusting the straps on his finger, he approached the prone mass. There it lay, at last. The Baron of the Boneyard. Eyes dried and hollow. Torment over. The hunter sighed, and retrieved his blade. After wiping it off and stowing it, he just stood, staring at the bizarre thing. We did it! called Bracknell from above, by RK, we fucking did it! No sooner had the hunter registered the words than he jumped back, out of the way of a rabid axe swing. The undead who attacked him gathered itself and would have come again had the hunter not speared it through the throat. We did nothing. He called back up the wall. That. That wasn't the necromancer. What do you mean that wasn't the necromancer? Bracknell's voice almost cracked to see the horde still writhing and active, bearing down on the hunter. Since when can undead minions perform magic? Okay, firstly, let's not talk like we know anything about necromancy. Secondly, how many arrows do you have left? Uh, about ten. Should I come down there? No? Stay up there, and cover me. Are you going to check the cabin? Maybe. But first, I've got to get my quiver back." His voice sounded hoarse and dull. "'Don't get cornered again!' Bracknell called, but the hunter was already moving, kiting the horde and jabbing at them from a safe distance. It felt easier now, and he couldn't pin down why that was. Perhaps he'd gained some experience, perhaps the Hollow Ones were slower without their captain, or perhaps there was simply fewer of them. Regardless, it wasn't long before he stood at the foot of the platform that had nearly been his end. He approached with a tentative, mistrustful step, and did his best not to actually touch the stone lest it try to split him in two. All the same, his world flickered and flexed. Comically contorting himself, he coaxed the quiver closer to him with the spear and snatched it up. He sighed with relief that the arrows hadn't been scattered all over creation. A hollow one lunged for him, and he darted away, fiddling with the strap he'd cut. For a moment, he felt like a man trying to run while holding up his trousers, and repairing straps while holding a spear was no easy feat. When he finished improvising a knot he thought would suffice, he slung the quiver and spun on his enemies, who, no doubt, had made up some distance by now. However, yet another surprise was waiting for him. The horde had gone eerily still. Several were still reaching for him, and brandishing weapons, but their forms had frozen, as if trapped in ice. Then they quivered, an uncanny little tremble, and dropped. Each and every one of them fell, skeletons shattered, smoke sprung from under hoods, and the figures keeled over. Some of the more gruesome corpses seemed to lose their form altogether, almost melting into a kind of fleshy slush. The hunter tilted his head in astonishment as the horde fell at his feet. He could see Bracknell skirting the ridge above. Is that it? He called. I think that's it. Must have taken a second to set in or summit. That doesn't seem right. Should I still check the cabin? I don't see why not. The hunter had only taken a couple steps towards the raised abode when a wind picked up at his back and blew past him. It hit him like a punch, actually causing him to stumble forward. Dust kicked up all around the caldera and swirled in the air like a twister. The hunter watched it, gripping his spear tightly, instinct telling him to wait and be ready. The twister centered over the massive pile of bones and bodies, and just as quickly as it formed, dissipated. The world stilled as if drawing breath. Then came the scream. A horrific, high wail, bestial and vicious, cut the air, supported by a deep, guttural rumble that shook the ground and told of a scale hitherto unknown. The hunter started backing away, knowing before he'd even seen this foe that he was outmatched. Then a whole side of the mound exploded outwards, bones splintered into a pale rain of festering shards, and globules of black and red stained a whole half of the boneyard, bursting forth from the pile was an abomination, easily twelve feet tall. Its antlered head was the skull of an elk. Its long forelimbs ended in vicious, jagged claws, and its many-jointed hind limbs ended in massive moose hooves, ringed by the talons of a huge eagle. The abomination's midsection was thin, almost emaciated, and the high crests of the vertebrae gave its back a hunched appearance. Between all these wickedly pale, bony features, The creature seemed to be held together by a thrumming mass of concentrated darkness magic or flesh the hunter couldn't tell and he wasn't eager to learn again the abomination roared and split the heavens the hunter dropped the spear and ran for the entrance run he yelled waving a hand wildly at his companion bracknell disappeared from the ridge and the hunter was alone sprinting full tilt for the broken gate Looking over his shoulder, he saw the huge thing was galloping for him, moving faster than any horse. This was it, then. There was no way for him to outrun this devil. Hurry! Came the familiar voice of Bracknell. He was there, suddenly, up above the entrance. His arrow notched, his aim set on the oncoming storm. He hadn't run. He was just repositioning. Damn fool, the hunter thought. The rope! He shouted, pointing frantically to the tie-off for the log trap. Cut the rope! Bracknell heard him, adjusted aim, then faltered. He squinted along the rope as if re-evaluating his shot. Then with a decisive huff, he let down the arrow, pulled his axe, and winged it down at the corner of the ramp. The hunter was just inside the crevice when he heard the thud, creak, rush, and rumble as the trap was loosed. He could hear the roar of the antlered abomination just over his ear. He could feel those clawed fingers reaching for him. Shadows grew deeper as the sky tumbled down atop his head. The hunter dived for the light, he dived for his life, and he made it. Hitting the ground would have knocked the wind out of him if he had any wind left. He rolled as the entrance belched out a cloud of dust. He dodged it as if it too wanted him dead. Gasping ragged breaths, he turned over, brown eyes darting all around, and looked back into the gaping, yawning black of the gateway. He saw nothing stir in that darkness, but kept his eyes on it nonetheless. Bracknell came sliding feet first down the outside of the caldera, both of their packs in his hands. He jogged for the hunter and pulled him up to his feet. Good call on the rope. Do you think we got it? No, the hunter panted. Not even close. Bracknell looked at him oddly. Uh, Stranger, your face. It was then that a huge, skeletal hand, assembled, it seemed, from the shin-bones of men and myrrh, jumped out of the shadowed crevasse, and dug its claws into the wall. The heinous sound of massive tree trunks being shifted reached their ears. Bracknell blanched. What an oblivion is that thing? I have no idea! Just run! And so Hewn hobbled and haggard. The pair ran as best they could back down the mountain. One wondering if he'd be able to keep up, the other wondering if he'd ever be whole again. Both knowing they had only minutes before the abomination would pull itself free, and continue the hunt. Oh my goodness gracious, that was a heck of a production cycle. But hey, it got done and this sucker got out. For all of you out there, thank you again for coming back to the series despite delays and all that. We got two more episodes left in season one and it is going to be a doozy. So I'm going to crack on with that. The rest of you stay awesome. And once again, thanks for listening.